What I'd love you to uh, have is, uh, I'd love you to have a Bible. Um, so today's going to be a bit more of a, um, it's going to be a bit more of a workshop um, where uh, I want to get lots of contribution from you, which means I want your brains on, if possible. So you either open your Bible or turn your Bible on. That's kind of what I'm saying. And if you need to download a Bible, you can download one. I'll be using the ESV, English Standard Version, if you want. If you're not, if you don't have a Bible and you can't, you haven't got one to turn on, it'll be good for you to move next to someone who's got one. <clears throat> this, um, what's on the screen, you guys, who's, who here has memorised the Project Statement of Faith? <laughs> All right. Who here would even recognise that that's from our Statement of Faith? <laughs> Lizard. So this, uh, this is actually the first point on the project statement of faith or what we believe, okay? Uh, and it's about the scriptures. We believe the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be verbally inspired, to be the verbally inspired word of God, the final authority for faith and life inerrant in the original writings, infallible and God-breathed, okay? Uh, raise your hand if you're happy with that. You kind of agree with that? Okay. Cool. So I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up at this point, but it's a, it would be an interesting survey to find out how much you've read the Bible this week. Okay? Not because the Bible is the ultimate ob objective, right? But if the Bible is that, if it is God's special revelation, His special talking to you, I wonder how much you've read it this week. You know, the common kind of um, response that I've had from people, and I've had it from lots and lots of school kids, is the Bible's really difficult to read. Uh, and it is. Okay? I've uh, recently... Uh, I think of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Yeah, I've just finished Leviticus. Anyone read Leviticus? Yeah. So the next preaching series is going to be on Leviticus. Yeah, that's right. I, I love how no one took me seriously on that point. Just straight up. It's just no, that can't be right. Yeah, it would. Thanks, Sam. I'll take that as a compliment. Um. So, look, basically what I want to do today is I actually want to read the bit out of Mark and I want you to think, and I'm going to give you time to think, and I want you to actually throw in lots, okay? So it's probably going to be a little bit more like a classroom than like a, a sermon in church. Are you okay with that? So if you're new here, you kind of, you've got the immunity necklace, all right, and you don't have to say anything, but if you've been to the project more than probably half a dozen times, we call you a projectile affectionately, and uh, we, um, I would love you to throw in today, Okay? All good with that? Now, part of the reason for this, what am I doing today? Well, I think there's some stuff that we can learn from the passage today, but I also want you to learn a little bit about how to think when you read a Bible passage, okay? Am I an absolute legend of doing this stuff? No, I'm not, okay? Will I bring some research that I've done this week uh, to bear on what we're going to discuss? Yeah, absolutely, okay, because I've done some work on it. Um, so there's some times where you'll need to do some research to understand things, but today... Uh, this slide, there's only going to be two more slides after this. This is kind of like my version of, you know, people who have that dream that they've gone to school naked, you know. This is kind of the preacher's version of that, you know. I don't have a PowerPoint today, so... Yeah, so I've got the whiteboard, right? So that's going to happen today. So you get to see my... Uh, what happens when I don't have automatic spell correct on a whiteboard. So can, uh, can you go to Mark... Actually, let's not even show the scripture from Mark 8 at this point in time. Can you go to Mark 8? Sorry, 9, I should say. Mark 9. 
I'm going to start at Mark 9, verse 2. Yeah, actually, no, I'll leave it up there. This, this is it. My only two slides are what we're going to read now from Mark. Okay? Um, okay. Mark 9, verse 2. <clears throat> is everyone good? All right. And after six days, stop. Six days from what? And this is where you can throw in. Six days from what? Yeah, what was it before? About what? what? Yeah, com- conversation about suffering. What else? This is like, like I, I know, like people, I'm not having a go at you, right? People do forget about 92% or something. I don't know what the stat is of what they hear, right? This is what I preached about last week. And if you come up and you go, I can't remember. Well, I can't remember most of it either, right? But maybe someone can and they can tell us. What, what, what did we talk about last week? No, not the feeding of 4,000. What was it? Foretelling his death and resurrection. What else? Rebuking of Peter. Yeah. And what else was in the mix there? That's good. We're doing well. Denial of the self, right? Cool. Yeah, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Okay. Now, when you read a passage like this, right, and it says six days later, what does it tell you about what the author's thinking? Probably. That what? Yeah, yeah. Like he's, yeah, he's kind of going... Listen, this has got something to do with what just happened, okay? Now, I could ask you at this point in time, what does what we're about to read have to do with what just happened? And you just go, I don't know, because you don't know what we're reading yet. You with me? Like, you need to read it, and then you kind of go, so we'll ask that question later on. It's like, well, what's that got to do with it, okay? Now, one thing that we do know, and I'm sure if you were at church here last Sunday morning, you'd know it was a bit brutal last week, wasn't it? Is anyone with me on that? It was a bit intense and a bit brutal, okay? So that's a little bit of a heads up. If you've just come out of something that's a bit intense and a bit brutal and the author's saying, hey, there's something that's about to happen here and uh, it happened six days after the last one, that's just a little bit of it. Like at that point, you just kind of go, oh, he's, he's thinking something about what's about to happen and what it has to do with what just happened. You with me? Okay, so let's keep reading. Uh, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Now just stop for a minute, right? It's a pretty intense little moment, right? When it says transfigured, it's like Jesus changed, his appearance changed and he became so intensely white uh, so much wider than anyone on earth could ever make something. Uh, verse 4, And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now that would be a good conversation to listen to, wouldn't it? If you're Peter, James or John, like what's Jesus going to be talking to Moses and Elijah about? That would be cool. All right? And it's like Peter, James and John, they're just kind of there. Now, and Peter said to Jesus, this is verse 5, Rabbi which means teacher, I think. Uh, It is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And verse 8, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. All right? This is one of those classic moments, right? Where it's like, I am freaked out and someone needs to say something. Say, Peter, you just say something dumb, (laughs) which he does a whole bunch of times, and at least something's being said. All right? And he's going, let's make some tents. Okay, now, 
does anyone, like, if I asked you something like, can, can anyone think of another time in the Bible where some people are kind of at a mountain, right? And there's something pretty intense going on in a mountain. Because anyone... Yeah, Moses, right? In Sinai, right? Mount Sinai. So, Exodus 20. Can you go to Exodus 20? So you can keep your finger in... Uh, actually, it'll be on the screen, so you probably don't even need to keep your finger in uh, Mark 9. But Exodus 20, verse 18. So here's the deal. If you don't know about this, you're not a Christian here today. Uh, here's the deal. God's people were in Egypt. They were enslaved there for 400 years. God brings them out and they end up at Mount Sinai. Um, sorry, I told you Genesis 20, didn't I? Exodus 20. Sorry, Exodus 20. They end up at Sinai. Um, Exodus 20 is a classic giving of the Ten Commandments. And then at the, then at the end of Exodus 20, you have something interesting happen. So this is verse... Uh, 18. Now when all the people saw, this is immediately after the Ten Commandments have been given, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. Now what's similar between this passage here and what we just read in Mark 9? Yeah, fear, right? There's a bit of fear there. So Peter's freaking out, so he says something dumb, all right? Uh, but the people here are freaking out as well. So we're in Exodus 20. We'll keep going. Uh, the people trembled and they stood far off. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They were really scared. Moses said to the people, don't fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. All right? What does that, quick, quick question, what does that tell you about God and the nature of God? Sorry? Yeah, in a sense there should be no fear, yeah. Uh, in, a, in a scared... But yeah, but he is Yeah. Yeah, excellent. So I think you put those two things together, it's good, you know, because First John does talk about um, there's no fear in love, all right? In a sense, you shouldn't be scared that God's going to hurt you, but there should be an awe of God. Okay? Does anyone know what awe means? A definition of awe? Sorry? Yeah, it's reverence. Listen to this. It's reverence mixed with fear and wonder. That's what it is. All right? Reverence mixed with fear and wonder. Now, if I asked you this, is it possible for any human in their fallen condition to see God and live? Probably not, okay? So let's uh, go across, shall we, to Exodus uh, 33, all right? Go across to Exodus 33. Do you see what we're doing here? Like, in a sense, what's happening with Jesus is he's actually, people, people are kind of, it's like they're starting to see his glory, okay? And, and Peter's freaking out a bit, right? Because this Jesus guy is something completely different to what he thought he was. Okay, and it's like all of a sudden they're, they're getting scared, all right, because they're seeing Jesus and his glory. Uh, Exodus 33, verse 18. Follow that with me. Moses said to God, Please show me your glory. Now, I'm not even going to pronounce this the right way, okay. But the notion of glory is a really interesting one, right? And this is one of the ways I explain it to my kids. Like the, um, uh, 
I think this may be the Hebrew pronunciation of the Hebrew word behind the word glory. It's korbod, all right? And you know what it means? It means weight, okay? So the way I explain it to my kids is that glory is like if you're standing next to a creek and you get a big rock, we did this recently out at the dam, and you throw the rock into the creek, the water goes around the rock because the weight of the rock is heavier than the weight of the water. Does that make sense? And there's a sense in which God's glory is like his weightiness, his, his awesomeness. And to give glory to God is to be like the water that goes around a rock in a creek. And you just kind of go, you are so weighty. You are so, so more weighty than me. I'm going to organize my life around you. You with me? And this, Moses is kind of showing, show me your weightiness. Show me your awesomeness, right? Um, verse 19. And God said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and will pro proclaim before you my name. And quick question, what does it mean when God says he's going to proclaim his name? You know? Kind of, yeah, stake his claim. Like in the Old Testament, someone's name tells you what about him? The character of him, right? So he's kind of, he's, when he's saying, he's not going to say, you know, God shows him, God. And Moses goes, oh, that was really disappointing. All right? Uh, what he's going to do is he's going to tell him what he's like. All right, he's going to tell him about his character. Okay, um, I will tell you, I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. But he said, and this is the key bit, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will pass. And I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. What's going to happen for a, when a, if a, a fallen human being gets right in the presence of God? What's going to happen? They're going to die. Okay? And you might go, well, okay. Well, I'll tell you, if you're the human being in God's presence, that's more than, well, okay. You get what I'm saying? It's like, man, oh, that is, you just don't want to be there. Okay, and that's what Moses is saying is he's going, I want to see you. And God goes, I can't show you me because you'll die if I show you me. So do you get the situation going on back in Mark 9 a little bit better now? Like Jesus's glory is being displayed and they're freaking out because they would know about Moses in the Old Testament. So I don't know what's going to happen at this point. Okay, it's a bit scary. All right. Now, what, um, does anyone know this? What is the effect on Moses of him being in God's presence. Anyone know that? It's a pretty well quoted kind of... Yeah, yeah. So did you get that? His face shines. So much so they've got to put a veil over it. It's so bright, all right? So you're starting to get a little bit of... Do you see the themes I'm kind of trying to weave together here? And these are kind of Bible themes. It's like all of a sudden you're in God's presence and you see him and you see his glory. You're going to shine... Kind of a little bit the way that Jesus does. So let's have a quick look at that in Exodus uh, 34. Should be just over the page there. Verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Now, is Moses' glory that's on his face, is it actual glory or reflected glory? reflected right is jesus's glory at the transfiguration in mark 9 actual glory or reflected glory it's actual right it's like the source of glory 
is there. Anyway, let's keep going. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, this is verse 30, and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And this beautiful uh, couple of verses, 34 and 35, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it's not the same thing. It's not even close. And this is not what the scripture's talking about. But you guys know, you've met people who spend lots and lots of time with Jesus. And they kind of shine a bit, don't they? They kind of get some of that kind of reflected glory. Um, And I I don't know. I wonder whether that's you at the moment. Are you shining with reflected glory from him? Some of you do. I mean, I'm not saying that because I'm observing it. It's like, okay, there's three over there and two. <laughs> so seeing God is a fearful thing, but it has big effects. Let's look at one more scripture, Isaiah 6. Go across to Isaiah. This is really, really interesting. I think this probably even gives us a little bit of a hint as to one of the things that might be happening in Mark 9 and why Mark's kind of tying it together. There you go. Has everyone got it? Isaiah 6 verse 1. Someone who can read well, do you want to read that? Uh, Just from verse 1 to 5. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Okay, do you see that theme now? It's like Isaiah is right in line with Moses at this point, and he's just kind of going, I'm, I'm done, that's it, I'm toast, all right, because I've seen God in this vision, okay? Um, now, just go across to uh, John 12. John 12. Yeah, I don't think we've ever done this before at the project. Are you going okay? You're getting RSI on your fingers? John 12. No, John 12, and we'll start at uh, verse 36. Or halfway through verse 36. Listen to this. You all good? When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, 
He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Now, would anyone like to have a guess as to what part of Isaiah John's quoting? We didn't read it, right? But it was actually Isaiah 6. It was the very next bit. So after Isaiah actually sees God, God says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and preach. And people's eyes are going to go blind and their ears are going to go deaf. That's what's going to happen. And you'll preach basically for no good. (laughs) All right? Which is kind of like Noah, right? Okay? Some of you kind of go, well, I'm really missional and I do lots, try to talk to people about Jesus and nothing seems to happen. Well, try being Noah for years, you know? He's preaching next to the ark and he didn't have one convert for all the years that he built the ark. Anyway, back to uh, Isaiah 6, all right? Now, everyone look at verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his what? His glory and spoke of him. Now, who's the his? Who is it? Come on, it's it's Jesus, Mary or God? Yeah, be more specific than God. Yeah, it was Jesus. So in Isaiah 6... Who's, that's what John's saying here. He's saying that Isaiah wrote these things about what was going to happen to his message because he actually saw Jesus. So in Isaiah 6, the glory that, Je- that Isaiah was seeing was Jesus. You with me? So there's something... Uh, no, let me stop. What, what's diff- what do you think, and this is a really open question, what do you think is different now? Because haven't we got in Mark 9, Jesus' glory is showing up and people are not going, we're toast. They're scared, but they're not kind of going, we're toast. And they don't get cooked, in a sense, by Jesus' presence. Any ideas? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. That was yeah. absolute yeah. access to yeah. through Jesus. Yeah. So he's sort of preempting almost that, that we're going to be able to say with the mm. God. Hey, you guys are all really smart. You're doing really well. Any other thoughts? Hey, keep going on that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, a, that's a, a good point. I mean, the church, the Western church, is not particularly strong at preaching about hell anymore. <laughs> uh, we might be a bit more earnest in telling people about Jesus if we were better at doing that, maybe. Um, now, let's just return back up there uh, to Mark 9. Yeah, yeah. I may not be able to answer it, but you can ask it. Yeah. I have missed something. Yeah. 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 Which bit to which bit? No, no, you're not, because I actually haven't tied it all together yet. So you're actually... Yeah. When you ask 
Why is it different? That's what I'm saying. If Isaiah saw God in Isaiah 6, if, if he saw Jesus, uh, why is it different now on the transfiguration where Jesus' glory starts to come in? Yeah, there's some similarities, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's something that's a little bit different. That's really what I'm asking. What's a little bit different? No, no, don't be sorry. It's good. That's what a workshop is. All right. Um, now, just going back for a minute to, uh, to what... Um, I think what Sam said is going to be a nice little segue for us. Um, yeah, let's go there. Have a look up on the screen there. What, what is Peter's suggestion about what they should do? Make a tent, right? Yeah. Who said tabernacle? Yeah. Okay. Now, if you think about it, just go. It's not like a two-man tent from Ray's Outdoors. All right. So that that would be weird. All right. Everyone just getting in one of those tents together, uh, just because it's small. But, okay, and, but if you just kind of go, well, where else was there a tent? Well, there was a tent before the temple in the Old Testament. It was called the tabernacle, right? What was the purpose of the tabernacle? Take the Holy of Holies with them. Let's have a few, a few throw-ins. What, what's the point of it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, keep going on that. Yeah, God was with them. Yeah. Cool. So if we put all those together, you've actually, you've worked it out pretty well, right? So the deal with the tabernacle is what we've actually got to do is we've got to put limits on the way that people engage with God because it's kind of dangerous, Okay to engage with God. Do you get that feel? That's the Old Testament thing. It's kind of dangerous to engage with God. And so you can see here, what's Peter doing? Well, he's probably just going, this is really freaky, all right? I mean, Hebrews 1.1, for those who were here at the project when we did Hebrews, says that Jesus is the exact radiance of God's glory, all right? Peter's going, this is really freaky. This is a really dangerous place. And we've got to put some controls in place here to kind of just make sure that nothing bad happens. So let's set up some tabernacles or something so that we can have some ways to relate to God in a way that he's not going to burn us. Do you see that? That, that looks like uh, what's actually happening here. Okay? It's like that show, behold the tabernacle of God is with them. <laughs> yep. 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 So let's just pause for a minute here, all right? You remember last week you looked at the whole self-denial thing and the suffering thing. Jesus is going to suffer, so part of his call for you is to suffer. What does awe have to do with the call that Jesus has for your life? Throw some thoughts out. Why? Excellent. Good. What else? Yep. recognize that he is real and hence everything yep. else is real. Yep. That's yep. wisdom. Yep. Yep. What else? This is good. What what having reverence for God, your minds know all about us. Yep. So just that's good. We're doing well. I just I encourage you to connect it back to last week, right? 
So you think about people, the disciples, right? Almost all of them bar Judas are going to get executed for what they believe, okay? How does this experience with Jesus and seeing Jesus' glory, how is that going to help them to deny themselves? Keep going. Yep. Okay, so they're getting a really good revelation of God, which is going to help them to get through the really hard times that are coming their way. What else? They, they can sort of see here that he's not, he's not just a man that they thought he was. Yeah. Yeah. So in that they, there's a bit of a hope thing that they're not just following the man, they're following yep. the Lord. Yep. Yep. And as you said, as Jews, they would be very well aware of the scriptures. Yep. Yeah. Christ, yeah. 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 Or what you reverence or what you hold in awe, what you think is glorious. And so part of what's going on here is, is uh, Jesus is kind of going, this needs to sit with you. My glory needs to sit with you. The awe that you have right now in my presence needs to sit with you because what's going to happen is that awe is going to be challenged by other things that are going to present that are going to try and make them scared and shape the way that they act. Their own death, for example. Do you see that? And, and Jesus, I think part of what Mark's saying here is if you see Jesus rightly and you see the magnificence of the person that he is and the God that he is, that's going to hold you in good stead when you need to deny yourself. And when you're scared about not having enough money, when you're scared about someone not, um, not doing the things that you want them to do to make your life go well, when you're scared about someone even killing you and putting you to death, Jesus is saying... A vision of my glory is going to hold you in that moment because it's going to shape the way that you behave rather than your fear of something else shaping it. Does that make sense? And I think, like, we could spend a bit of time on that now, but I think we could actually go around and we could find, and this is in the community group notes for this week, we could find ways that probably everyone in this room behaves because of fears that they have. And Jesus is going, get an awe of me and let that shape how you operate rather than your fears. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Then they're going to face Jesus dying, but then they're also going to face Jesus resurrected. And I suppose that's, I guess, because they they're still really scared and fearful when yeah. he's gone. Yeah. But then, but it's an immediate recognition when he's back. Do you, yeah. do you get what I mean? Because it'd be quite um, hard for a human if you saw a resurrected human. Yep. You'd have quite a lot of disbelief, but. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to get to that. So that I mean, that is part of what's going on here. It appears to be like a partial evidence for the resurrection. It's like this is what it's going to be like when I get raised from the dead. All right. So just kind of hang in. What I want to do is just go back, just to squidge, and just look at this whole concept of temple. Okay, because there's something else going on here, and this kind of comes back to the question that Catherine was asking before about. Um, and the one that I was asking about, why is it different with Jesus at this point in time? 
Okay, now there's a guy. One of the things, that, the main thing that biblical theology does as a discipline is it traces themes through the whole Bible and the way that God builds upon themes, right? One of the big themes that goes through the Bible is temple, okay? And there's some people that actually think that the Garden of Eden was kind of set up in a temple kind of a way, all right? That was the place where humanity met with God. And then you had the tabernacle and then the temple, okay? Now, all you good New Testament readers, you people read the New Testament, don't you? Who's, there are three different types of temple. God's temple talked about in the New Testament. Anyone like to have a dig at what they are? We are individually, yep. yep. What else? The church is another one. There's one more. Yeah, keep going. Do you remember? Do you remember what Jesus said? Destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. So Jesus, right? Now, if I say to you the purpose of a temple is that it's a place where God and man and women meet, are you starting to get it? Like Jesus, the reason why I think this is different is because Jesus is on the way to being the temple, all right? Jesus is the ultimate place that you can meet with God and not get hurt. You see that? Like that's, you ought to just, I mean, I've got goosebumps right now, Okay? Because if you were there and you were kind of freaking out and then someone's going, no, like he is going to be the temple and you're going to be able to meet with God and it's going to be safe for you and you're not going to get destroyed. That's really exciting. <laughs> All right? That's really, really exciting. Now, I want to, let's, uh, let's keep reading. Uh, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Can you imagine what it would be like in this scene? You're Peter, James and John. You probably need a change of underwear at this point in time, all right? Because it's really scary. And then out of the middle of this scary event, where they're just kind of going, Well, we can remember Sinai, and no one even wanted to talk to God back then. All right, we remember Moses, who had to put a sheet over his head because his face was glowing so much. And we remember Isaiah, he just wanted to die. And now all of a sudden, we're looking at the exact radiance of God's glory in Christ. We're not dying. We've just said we want to make up some tent to kind of mediate what's going on, not realizing that Jesus is the one who's meant to mediate and make things right between God and us. And then out of the middle of all of that, this amazing expression of love. Like, can you even begin to imagine what that would have been like? like? Imagine being in an incredibly scary place that was just covered in love. I mean, that would impact you, wouldn't it? Go uh, across to John 17. John 17. And it's verse... Uh, Hold on. 23. Verse 23. Listen to this. 17:23. Actually, I'll start in the 22 at the start of the sentence. There, the glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. This is us he's talking about. So that the world, listen to this, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Now John's one of the boys up on the hill there with Jesus, right? And he's hearing his father's overflowing expression of appreciation and love and then John writes down that Jesus says the love that the father has for the son we want them to know that you have that love for them too isn't that special so God's not dumbed down to some harmless kitten (laughs) he's not a harmless kitten he's just fearsome lion but you can be in the presence of this fearsome lion and be covered in love that would impact you wouldn't it Do you think that would change the way that you would handle suffering and trouble? Yeah. Yeah, massively. Now let's finish with something. Actually, let's... Can we go to the next slide, Dean? Fleming? Let's just finish reading this. I'll interpret this and then I want to finish for the morning. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And some of you are going, oh, not this again. He keeps saying this all the time. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Now, the last time Peter questioned Jesus' suffering, what happened? Okay, he said, get behind me, Satan. So can you go to the last book of the, uh, of the Old Testament, Malachi? Can you just go there now? Malachi. Actually, exactly. I don't know. Malachi 4. I've just lost my reference here, but I'll find it. Verse 5 of Malachi 4. This is what Jesus is talking about. The scribes are quoting. All right. Malachi says this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter desolation. Do you know what they thought? They actually thought Elijah was going to come and fix everything up before the Messiah came. All right? So this, I think this is another sneaky little question by the disciples saying, no, you don't actually have to suffer, do you? Because Elijah hasn't come yet. All right, Elijah hasn't come and it said Elijah's going to come and he's going to square things up. So it's all going to still go the way that we want it to go. All right, let's just read on. They asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the son of man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has come. Now, he's not talking about Elijah in the Old Testament. Elijah was a prophet. Who's the Elijah that Jesus is talking about? John the Baptist, right? The prophets come and listen, Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased, which was? Cut his head off. Do you see what's going on? The disciples are kind of going, nah, we think that you're going to be able to get out of this without suffering and we'll have a sneaky question. And he goes, no, listen, if they did this to Elijah, they're going to do it to me. They're going to take me out too. Okay. Here's where I want to finish. Can you go across to Philippians 2? Philippians 2.
Philippians 2, I'm going to start uh, at verse 5. Verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's my question for you. Why do you think Jesus is saying, don't say anything about it until after the cross? Why? Any ideas? It's pretty good. The answer there was clarity in the actual meaning of what, of what was going on. Now, what, like, why have I read Philippians? I've read Philippians too because in the Bible, there is suffering and glory are inversely proportional. Not inverse, they, they are proportional. So the greater the suffering, the greater the glory. Do you get that? That's kind of Philippians too. He went to the cross, he emptied himself of everything, and because of that, he is highly exalted okay now is jesus being transfigured the ultimate glory of what he was on earth to do what is the ultimate glory yeah his death and resurrection do you get that so he's kind of saying to him don't go and tell anyone yet because you've only got half of it (laughs) all right wait till you get the other bit wait till you see me being the temple on the cross wait till you see that and then you'll understand what's going on here So, the obvious ramification for you is if suffering and glory are linked for Jesus, suffering and glory are going to be linked for you. Are you okay with that? Because that's the thing, isn't it? You kind of go, if I'm going to suffer now, I'm going to get ripped off. And Jesus goes, no, it, it just works the exact opposite way around. Like, you've just had two occasions where the disciples on one hand are kind of saying, you don't have to suffer. He goes, no, I do. I have to die. And if you want to follow me, you'll have to die. And then they have the sneaky one. Isn't Elijah meant to cut? Yes, he has. And they cut his head off. All right. And if that happened to him, that's going to happen to me. It's, it's, it's probably going to happen to you. Okay. But it's okay. Because in God's economy, suffering for him is correlated with the glory that he pours out. All right. Are you okay with that? I'll finish with this story. This is it. I hope something's been helpful for you today. Um, I, uh, on Thursday, I was talking to a mate of mine. I, I tend to be a bit of an introvert. Um, when it ca- I just find it really awkward being in a place where you don't know anyone. Um, and this conference, I, went, I, I didn't really know anyone. All right? Uh, I knew a couple of people. One of them was a leader, so I was never going to talk to him. And the other one was a guy I met once. And pretty much everyone else, I didn't know him. Um, and I was on the phone to one of my mates, and I'd, I was a good boy. I went and said good day to people and was friendly, right? But on Thursday, I, um, I had a chat to a mate of mine on the phone, and uh, he said, you know what I do when I go to things like that? And he said, I just say to God, I say, God, I'd just like you to bring whoever you want to bring along for me to bless them uh, in a conversation. 
And uh, Thursday night, I'm sitting on the bus. I sat down in this seat and this random guy, because they're all random, all right? Because no one really knew each other very well. Random guy just comes and sits down. And uh, he's another, he's a Baptist pastor from, uh, from Adelaide. And we had the most amazing conversation uh, that night. And we're just honest about stuff, straight up. You know, I was honest with another guy on Wednesday night and he just freaked out, wanted to try and fix all this stuff in me, which is, <laughs> he says, thanks man, there's a lot of stuff that needs fixing, but I'm not receiving that from you right now. He kept trying. Um, just going, I've been at this stuff for 40 years, like you're not going to do it in 10 minutes. Um, this guy was completely different on Thursday night and, uh, you know, he, uh, he said to me, uh, we just got talking about our families and uh, he said, you know, I said, how many kids you got? And he said, have you got kids? I said, yeah, married, I've got four boys. And he said, oh, that's great. And I said, how many kids have you got? And he goes, I've got two kids, um, two girls. And he told me their ages. I think it was 15 and 13 or something. He said, my 13-year-old's got hydrocephalus. Um, and she is far younger in her maturity than her age. Um, and do you know, he just talked about her and he talked about her... Um, her faith in Christ and how she challenges him often about trusting in Jesus and you know what we got onto is we got talking as you do when you're at a pastor's conference we got talking about theology all right and how it connects with practical reality and you know what theology we got talking about we got talking about the body physicality um, and the whole notion of some kind of, of, of the continuity between the physical reality in this world and the uh, reality that is going to be when God raises us and gives us a new body, but it's kind of a body that's a bit the same as well. And do you know what he said to me? Uh, we got talking about this whole thing of the connection between suffering and glory. And he said, I wonder what it's going to be like for my daughter. Because she's been through a great deal of suffering, you know. And do you know what he said to me? And this is probably the thing that impacted me the most. And for some of you, you would think this is really tragic. But somehow when you can get a different God kind of spin on something, it's not as tragic. He said to me, you know, he said, I've thought about the possibility that my daughter's body may not, it actually may be similar to what it is now after she's resurrected. And you know what he was excited about? He knew the connection between suffering and glory. And he knew that if, he said to me, he said, you know, Jesus still had the nail holes in his hands after he was resurrected and we're supposed to have a body like that. He said, I know that if my daughter is resurrected and she still has some of the physical problems that she's got, that she'll be clothed with so much glory, it's going to be crazy. Do you get that? And we kind of, I mean, part of you, you sit there and if you're anything like me, you're just kind of going, well, isn't that what you want? Don't you want everything to be right? But there's something else going on than just everything being right and being perfect. And it's a far greater, far more expansive reality. Do you see that? And that's what Jesus invites you into. He invites you into a far greater reality than everything just being right for you. And he's saying there's a glory in there that you know nothing about until you get in there.